extend Christian greetings also to all of you this evening. It's a privilege to be back again tonight. And I noticed this evening a few more former MBS students here. And, you know, that's encouraging. If you've been there as staff to see young people, they leave Bible school and they didn't quit going to church when they left Bible school, but they kept going to church and they kept serving the Lord. And here they are tonight, faithful. That's encouraging to me. Well, we are here tonight on the last evening of this little series of revival meetings. And I have some things I want to say before I get in the message. I have a heart of gratitude, first of all, to God for his word and his spirit, his help and his leading through this week, and all glory to him, and anything good that came out of this time. I also like to express my gratitude to you as a congregation for your prayers on behalf of the work this week. They were important, and they were felt, and they were powerful, and God bless you for that. I just commend you for being prayer warriors. And we want to, Karen and I want to thank you for your hospitality. It was Southern style with lots of Christian hospitality heaped on top of that. It was wonderful. And we thank you for your kind words of encouragement many times, for the homes we went into and meals you served us, and ladies that took Karen shopping and coffee places and things. It's just all appreciated, and we thank you for your generosity and your hospitality. I, too, was noticed the carry-in lunch today. When you folks do a carry-in lunch, I mean you carry it in. <laughs> it was something, and I just take that as a show of your love, and the fellowship was warm down there around the food, and I think that's biblical. God bless you for it. Our thanks to Jay and Sally for their hospitality, giving us a bed and fellowship. We enjoyed the after-church snacks and the visits we had and deepening our friendship, and we thank you a lot for that. And the encouragement. Jay prayed with me several times. Uh, he knew I was going to study, and he would pray with me, and I appreciate that. I would also like to say tonight, it was good to be in what is now the home church for Dorcas, who was formerly a Bontrager, now a Nicely. Dorcas, for those of you that don't know, she used to be a member of our church in Traverse City. And you know, when our young people get married and leave, we always trust, hope, pray that they end up in a good spot. And it's just good to be here and see that spot and see them serving the Lord here. I do want to thank you for the love gift you shared with us. Uh, Brother Samuel was right on it and paying early or whatever it is. I, I didn't look what it is, but I, I think it's a love gift. And I just thank you all. It came from your pockets, and so thank you for that. And another thing, uh, Karen received a card with a $100 bill in it, and it was from your congregation specifically to her for her support in coming along this week. And that is the first time over all these years that has ever happened, and it was really, really special to her. So thank you for that on her behalf. Also, personal gifts that came our way. Um, I don't know where all they came from, but they mean a lot. Uh, there's a lot of thought and memories, and we really appreciate that, as you shared with us. And then last night, the water that was not water, but was Sprite, 
You know, I just felt, I feel, it made me feel good that you felt comfortable enough around us that you were willing to have a little fun. And I was just okay with that. First time experience, by the way. And there are a lot of more things that could be said, but just leave it with this. Um, we're going to leave here with good memories and new friends. Thank you for accepting us and extending your friendship to us. We appreciate that a lot. I'm going to ask you tonight to, in your mind, let your mind drift back, if you can, to many, many years ago, a long time ago, but real time, long time ago, a time when there was no concrete, no blacktop, no trucks, no cars, no electric, no phones. And then I'd like for you to picture, back in that time, a man, a really big man. Uh, let's say maybe six foot five, 320 pounds, all muscle, a big man. Kind of rough, rough looking sort of a man. Not very well kept, rough around the edges, hair unkept, a beard that was kind of straggly looking, smelled sweaty. This man that I'm drawing a picture of, if you look in his eyes, the eyes that were eyes of desperation, determination, man of purpose. And then if you, in your mind, you could watch this man kick up dust as he walks across the dusty street, and he's headed for the hardware store. And he strides across the wooden floor porch of that hardware store. And he flings the door open. And in three big steps, he's standing in front of the counter behind which is a frail looking old man. And that man looks up to him. And he says, yes, sir. And that big man says, I want some hardware. Yes, sir. What kind of hardware? I want some nails. Oh, the little man says, we've got roofing nails, we've got siding nails, we've got furniture. No, I want some big nails. How big of nails do you want? I want nails that are big enough to go through a man's hands and his feet. How many nails do you want? I need three nails for this job. And that big man buys those three nails. He goes out the door. And you watch him go down the street. And far down the street, you watch him melt into a crowd of, big crowd of people. Big crowd of people heading out of town, out of Jerusalem, and up a hill that's called Golgotha. Then as you watch that crowd of people, you see another man that's bent over, and he's carrying something on his back. Oh, yeah, it looks like a cross. And you think, yeah. Those nails across. Title of the message tonight What You Find at the Cross. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 19. John 19. We have Jesus here. He is before Pilate, and Pilate scourged him whipped him, whatever you want to call it. The Bible says scourged him. And the soldiers had took a pile of thorns and made what they call a crown, and they put it on his head, and they smote Jesus, and they mocked him, and they hit him with their hands. 
And Pilate said, there's nothing wrong with this man. And they didn't agree with that. And I'm going to just pick up the reading of verse 13, 12. And from thenceforth, John 19, 12, from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. This passage tonight is the story of a cross, of a hill called Golgotha. Now ask us to think tonight about what we find at the cross. Well, if you go back to the introduction, which I just obviously used my imagination. We don't know exactly how it was. But what we find at the cross, perhaps it'd be a big Roman soldier. Maybe that man that we pictured in our mind. We just saw him at the hardware store. The same man we see at the cross, but this time this man looks a little bit different. He's got some blood splattered on his hands and on his clothes. That only adds to his intimidating presence. His, his eyes no longer perhaps have that desperate look in him, but a, but a dull look, perhaps a fearful look. What we find there is a throng of people, men and women, perhaps young people, perhaps boys and girls, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly. I think some of them were probably laughing, some of them were probably mocking and jeering and making fun. I think there were some there that were crying. What we find there is humanity, some at its worst, some at its best. And what we find there, friends, is a king, king of the Jews, the sign said. But not only is he, was he king of the Jews, but king of kings and lord of lords, a king on the cross. I don't know how you feel about the cross. I invite you to go to Galatians chapter 6. I love how Paul talks about the cross. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 14. Galatians 6, 14. 
But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Tonight we're talking about the cross, and I'm going to explain in just a little bit what I actually mean by that. But Paul says something here about the cross that I think is really interesting. He said, the cross does something for us. He says, by whom the world is crucified unto me. You see, Paul is saying, when I embrace the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the world loses its interest in me. And likewise, I lose my interest in the world, is what he's saying. That's what the cross does to it, to us, when we embrace it. It, it separates us from the world because they lose our interest in, uh, in, their interest in me because now I'm identifying with the man on the cross. And I lose my interest in the world because I am embracing and love and going to follow the man on the cross. But Paul said this, also in this verse, and I like this, he said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I don't have anything to glory. I cannot glory in my pedigree. I cannot glory in my preaching. I cannot glory in my physical body. I cannot glory in the ministry that I'm involved in. I cannot glory in the churches that I've started. I can't glory in my tent business. I can't glory in anything except the, the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, that's what I glory in. Brothers and sisters, tonight, we want to take a good look at the cross. We're going to glory in it. However, I want to make it very clear tonight. And I'm not talking about glorying in two pieces of wood. And I didn't even look at the front of your pulpit. Sometimes our pulpits have a cross. This one does not. I think our church at home, it does. I'm not talking tonight about two pieces of wood that we're going to glory in. I'm not talking, some religions make a big deal about the emblem of the cross. You know, they make a big deal about that. And they glory in that. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about glorying in the nails. Not in the shape of the cross. But tonight we glory in the man that hung on that cross. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we glory in. Tonight... I'd like for you to go with me back to the cross, as it were. I want to get away from that crowd of people. We want to get away from all that emotion and all that religious jargon. And let's take a closer look at what we find at the cross for us today. You can turn back to John 19. I'm sorry I took you away from there. Let's go back to John 19. In verse 24, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. First point I'd like to make tonight, what you find at the cross is you find refuge. You might wonder what I mean by that. Well, it says that by the cross stood, by the cross of Jesus stood his mother. And I believe that's talking about his birth mom, if I understand it right. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was by the cross. 
And Jesus, as his mother was there, Jesus went on to say to his mother, he said, and I'm going to just put it in my words, Troy, I paraphrase, all right? He said, Mom, I'm not going to be home for supper. Okay, now, I realize that's probably not what he said, but if you allow me to use my imagination, Mom, I'm dying, obviously. And I won't be back home. And that's the way it's going to be. But mom, this is what I want you to do. You see my friend here, John? And I don't think I read those verses, but it's right there. You see my friend, John? Mom, I want you to take my friend. And I want you to, the love that you've got left in your heart, I want you to pour it out onto my friend. And then he said to his friend, John, Take good care of my mother. Bye, Mom. Now, Mary's heart had to be breaking. Why was she at the cross? What did she want there? What comfort could she find there at the cross? Why would she want it to witness what was going on there? Why would she want to see nails driven through the hands of her son and through the feet of her son? Why would she want to see that? Why would she want to be there and hear the mockery and the laughing and the putting down that they put on her son? Why would her heart want to be there? Her heart needed a place of refuge. And even though it was chaos around that cross, Jesus Christ was still in control. It was a place of refuge by her son. I know a little bit, friends, what it's like to see a mother's heart broken when you lose a son to death. I know a little bit about that. It was my wife, when our son was killed, that found comfort and refuge in spending time at the casket. And she found refuge in touching Tyler's cold body. And she found refuge in going to that gravesite long before I wanted to go. It hurt me too much to go there, but she found refuge there, a mother's heart, close to a loved one. Friends, tonight, if you're here, I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe there's something in your life that you need a place of refuge. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you've been put down. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe life has just simply been tough. Maybe uh, you're hurting for a child or a loved one. I don't know what it may be tonight. I have no idea. I'll tell you tonight, friends, there is a place of refuge. It's by the man that hung on the cross. It's where Mary went when her heart was bleeding and breaking. It's where we can go and we can kneel there and we can find the peace. Jesus said this, come unto me all ye that are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Friends, it's at the cross we find the peace that the world can't give that passes all understanding. Refuge at the cross. The second thing I would like to give you tonight that we find at the cross is forgiveness. And Hebrews chapter 9, 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, or there is no forgiveness. And that soldier, when he 
That big Roman soldier, when he nailed Jesus to that cross with those three nails, and blood came out of his hands and his feet, and then they took that spear and they pierced his side, and the blood poured out upon the ground. They thought that they had ended the problem that they had in their hands. They thought they ended it. They thought they fixed it. But you know what they really did? They opened up a life gate of saving blood. That blood that flowed down from that cross, my friends, tonight, it's a floodgate. The cross was an avenue for the blood of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, to cleanse our heart and our soul. Matthew 26, 28 says this, For this is my blood that was shed for for many, for the remission of sins. And so when we think about the cross, we think about blood, because that's what happened at the cross. And so the blood means the forgiveness of sins. You know that stuff that the devil sells, that he brings with him. And we talked about that the other night. The stuff that accumulates in our heart that's so black and yucky and we can't deal with it. And it binds us and it, and it ties us up and we cannot be who God wants us to be. But it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all that sin. It flowed down from that cross. Oh, friends, it's the blood. It's our only hope. And we could go to different scriptures tonight, but we know the Bible says that we are dead in our sins. But friends, tonight it's the blood of the cross that frees us from that, our deadness. Because in sins we are dead, dead, nothing but deadness. But we get to the cross and washed by the blood of Jesus, and it cleanses from all that sin, and we can be alive in Jesus Christ. There is a cross. There is forgiveness. There's still that fountain of blood. I used to sing that song probably a hundred times till I finally dawned on me what it really means. There's the song that says about the blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. You know what I'm talking about? There is a fountain filled with blood flowed from Emmanuel's veins. That's Jesus on the cross, and still a fountain flowing today. Your friend tonight, if you are a slave to sin and Satan, you are a prisoner, you are bound. Sin has got you tied up in knots. I want to tell you tonight about the power of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you don't have to turn to this, but in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made non effect. And, and uh, I'm getting to the, the next verse, which talks about the power of the cross. But Paul said this, you know, I am anointed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to preach about the cross of Christ. But he said, I got to be careful that I don't, I don't mess up the message by using a lot of big words. It's a powerful, simple, profound statement and fact about the cross of Jesus Christ. And he said, I can mess it up with my words and I don't want to do that. Then he goes on to say, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Words really cannot describe the glory of the cross tonight. But tonight, friends, we can testify of the power of the cross, the power of God. When Paul says about the power of God, it means the power of the God by the cross to change a life from being lost 
to save. That's the power of God. Nothing else can do it. It changes a sinner to a saint. It changes a, a helpless hypocrite to a real Christian. It changes an old man to a new man. And you know, friends, tonight, I know tonight many of you are saved. You've been to that cross and you're saved. I realize that tonight. And sometimes we get, people get saved and they have this testimony. They've been in very deep sin and really bad stuff. And they get saved. Praise God. Glory to God. And then we hear their testimonies, how far they've been brought out in such a glorious testimony. And sometimes we almost get this feeling, you know, well, I've just always been a, a conservative Mennonite and I went to church all my life and I did get saved one time. But man, I sure don't have no testimony like that. That's a bunch of baloney, friends. I'll tell you tonight, friends. If you have been saved, if you have been to the cross, and glory to God, if you have not indulged in, in big sins, many sins, you, you're way far better ahead. But if you've been to the cross with that sin that you had, and you have confessed that to Jesus Christ, I'll tell you tonight, you are gloriously saved. There is no question about it. And don't ever be ashamed about it. We don't need to go far into sin to have a glorious testimony. In fact, I would say the best thing you can do with your life is get saved as soon as possible. You know, when I think of Jesus on the cross and forgiveness, I think of this. One time there was a church. I can't say exactly what kind of church it was, but it was a church that had Sunday school classes like we do for our children. And they had a Sunday school class that was made up of little boys, about so big, young boys. And in that Sunday school class of boys was one boy that God had made special. He was formed differently than most boys. He was bent over, and he had this big hump that was on his back. God had made him that way, and it made it very difficult for this young boy to walk. But anyhow, he was in this Sunday school class, and this Sunday school class was learning Bible verses by memory. And the plan was that some Sunday, this Sunday school class of boys would come up front on the podium and they would recite their verses that they had learned. And so this Sunday came and these boys took their turns coming up here and pretty soon it was this little boy's turn that had this bent over back and this big hump on his back. And he came up the aisle and he kind of stumbled as he came up the steps. And somebody back in the audience said, hey cripple, get that pack off your back. And that little boy just melted in tears. And pretty soon a man got up from the back, and he walked up here, and he picked up that boy. And he said, I don't know who would be so cruel to say something like that, but I want to tell you something. The most courageous person here tonight is this little boy, because he's my son, and I love him. And he picked him up and took him back to his seat. Friends, tonight, that's what I think of when I think about the cross. We go there with our backpack of sins and Jesus reaches down and he picks us up and he takes us home because he forgives us and our sins are gone to the depths of the sea. He doesn't even remember where they're at. My friends tonight, that is beautiful. The third thing that I'd like to show you that we find at the cross tonight, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 17. 
Luke 17, verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. At the cross you find the power to forgive. Friends, I don't know how you find it, but when things happen in life, and things do happen, sometimes it is hard to forgive. But at the cross, we find that power that we can forgive. And Jesus said here, he said, talking to his, I'm not sure he was talking to his, his disciples, obviously. He said, you know what? Offenses are going to come in life. You're going to have trouble in life. Things are going to happen. Uh, it's not always going to be trouble free. There's going to be problems and people will wrong you. They will hurt you. They will say unkind things about you. And that's the way life goes. And it's not always intentional. Sometimes it's not intentional at all. Because we have different personalities, friends. And in this congregation, I know you have many different personalities. I've got to enjoy some of them already. All right? And so you have those people in our, and people in our churches that are the soft-hearted and kind people. Gentle. Just so Caring and gentle. And then we have people with personalities that uh, they're uh, like a bulldozer. They run over everybody. They're aggressive. You know, and just step back, here I come. Right? And then we have those people with personalities of a race car. You know, you can never do anything because they're always there first. And before you can even think what you want to say, they said it. And then we got people with personalities like Peter's, you know, they just speak out of turn, say things they shouldn't say, hurt you, yeah. Jesus said, it's going to happen. We're going to get offended. We're going to get hurt. There will be life problems, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, people that take advantage, unfairness, as long as there are people on planet Earth, these are some of the things we're going to deal with. But you know, friends, those things can really hurt us and cause pain. They really can. And they're difficult. And there's probably some of you here sitting tonight and say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know. I know that. But you know what Jesus said? He said, we must forgive. We must forgive. And friends, tonight I believe that a lot of times, if we'd be honest, some of the problems in our churches are due to the fact that we cannot let things go. We cannot forgive. It is hard. I understand that. It's hard. Because it doesn't seem right. But I think one of the big obstacles sometimes on our path to glory is, is a, a lack of forgiveness in our heart and we tend to be bitter and hold things there. And Oh, we don't want to. We know it's not right and yet it's so hard. What we find at the cross, the man on the cross, and when we meet him face to face, we meet the man that invented forgiveness. 
the example of forgiveness. You talk a man that, about a man that was wrong and he said, Father, forgive him. They don't know what to do. Immediate forgiveness. Friends, it takes faith to forgive. The man on the cross, we have faith in him. When I think about forgiveness, I think about this old, old story. And I, you can know by now I like stories. And I think the old people have all heard this probably many times, but I'll say it for those that haven't. The man, the, the young man, the boy at home that was a rebel and, and didn't like whatever was going on at home and finally got to the place in his life that he just, I'm going to leave home. And he left home in a bad way. Hurt mom and dad tremendously. Their hearts were crushed. And so he leaves home and goes off. And kind of like the prodigal we talked about this morning in the Bible. And finally he comes to the end of himself and he decides, you know what? I've made a mistake. I'm going, to my, I'm going to write mom and dad a letter. And he wrote them a letter. And he said, I know I've not been the son I should have been. I'm wondering if you would take me back. I'd like to come home. And here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to, in this letter, he told his mom and dad, I'm going to buy me a ticket for a train. We got a train track that ran right by their house. On a certain day, I'm going to be on that train. And they had an apple tree in the back of the yard. He said, Mom and Dad, if you want to forgive me and want me to come home, if you'd hang a white rag on that apple tree, then I'll get off at the next stop and I'll come home. And if you don't, if there's no white rag out there, I'll keep on going, I understand. So that young man got on that train that scheduled day and he was riding that train. And another man got on the train and sat beside this young man. He was a preacher. And he noticed the young man was very quiet. He had nothing to say. He had a hard time getting a conversation going. But finally, the young man opened up and told him his story. He said, I'm on this train. Told him about the letter, what he had said. And he said, preacher, he said, our house is up around that corner. And I can't bring myself to look at the apple tree. Would you look for me? And the preacher said, sure, son, I'll do that for you. He said, our house is right up around the corner. And so that train rounded that corner, and there was the apple tree. And there, the preacher saw something, and he said, son, look. And the son looked, and what it was was not one white flag, but many white flags all over that apple tree, and mom and dad out standing out waving. Friends, tonight, that's how God forgives. And we find the power to forgive like that. At the cross. It's not worth it, friends. The hold a grudge. It'll kill you spiritually. Jesus gives us power to forgive. What do you find the cross? The fourth thing is truth. The centurion said, truly, this man was a son of God. The centurion had been fed a bunch of lies. He thought Jesus was a bad man. He thought he was no good. He thought he was doing the world a favor, favor by getting rid of him. He believed all these lies. Then all these things happened on the cross and he came to the point that he realized that he was wrong. He had believed lies. And he said this, truly this was the son of God. I tell you tonight, friends, what you find at the cross is truth, real truth. 
The real answers to life. You find the, defin the definition of right and wrong. You find at the cross what real values are. You know, America's billboards try to tell us what we think should be valuable. But it's at the cross that we find out what true values are. The cross offers no compromise. Only truth. It cannot be camouflaged. It cannot be counterfeited. No fake truth at the cross. Friends, tonight, I want to encourage you, don't trust higher education for truth. Don't trust the news for truth. Don't trust social media for truth. Don't trust something that seems so good in this world for truth or what others do for truth. Jesus said, the man on the cross said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You find truth at the cross. Friends, tonight, I invite you to kneel at the cross. And there we ask the man of the cross for truth to be imparted in my heart to help me live truth out in my everyday life. Number five, what do you find at the cross? You find the cross. Paul said, I glory in the cross. Brothers and sisters, tonight, the cross still stands. It still stands today. No, those two pieces of wood have long ago rotted and disintegrated and fallen into the cracks and blown off Golgotha Hill. They are gone. No, those three nails have long ago rusted away into nothingness and blown away. But friends, the cross still stands. It's not the wood, it's not the nails, but the man, Jesus Christ. It still stands today. 2,000 years have passed. Men still mock the cross. They're still jeering at the cross. They're still making fun. The world would say today that it's foolishness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The winds of time have blown and battered the cross. But friends, the cross still stands. It still stands today. And real soldiers rally around the cross. Why? Because the cross is an invitation to come for the lost. It's an invitation for the blood that still cleanses from sin. It's a refuge to hurting hearts. It's a place of peace. It's a pillar of truth. It's a place that we can be near God. The song says, kneel at the cross. Christ will meet you there. Friends, it's at the cross where we start. And it's at the cross where sometimes we restart our Christian life.
The song also says there is room for all. And that's exactly right, friends. At the cross, there is room for all. It doesn't matter if it's young or old. Doesn't matter what color our skin is. Doesn't matter if we're hurting, discouraged Christian or a proud sinner. Thousands have come to that cross. They have made to that cross and they have dumped their burdens there. And Jesus has washed their hearts clean by his blood. But friends, tonight there is still room at the cross for you. Friend, tonight are you anchored at the cross? Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the man on the cross, Jesus Christ. 